Hey Center Ray Church, I'm Tara. And I'm Deidre. Happy Sunday, everyone. As we start our day, we want to take a moment to acknowledge the memorial holiday that we're about to celebrate. We're so grateful for the service men and women that have laid down their lives for our country and for the freedoms that we enjoy. We encourage you to pause this weekend to remember their sacrifice, to pray for those that are missing loved ones, and to thank God for our country. We're glad that among the picnics and celebrations that you're taking time to gather online with Centerway today. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are so glad to be with you, and we're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering. Hello to everyone here with us, whether you're watching live or joining us later in the week, and hello to any watch parties going on out there. Yeah. Also, a special welcome to any guests with us for the very first time. We can't say enough how happy we are that you're here. Mm-hmm. Over the next couple of minutes, we'll share some information that we hope helps you navigate and enjoy your first visit with us. Because we're a young mobile church, we're in a unique season of being mostly online with some in-person gatherings here and there. Um, So we hope to meet you face-to-face very soon, but for today, uh, your visit online, we trust that you still feel at home here. You can learn more about, uh, about, I'm sorry, about us if you check out our website if you have any more questions. Yeah, definitely. If you're gathering live on Sunday, we encourage you to check out the tabs right on the online platform. You can share your information with us, which will just help us to follow up and get feedback from you. Also on the live platform, you can also explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway Home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have questions or if you would like prayer, just request prayer and one of the hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening later in the week, many of the things I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after the gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or if you need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Yeah, we love hearing from you. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition to emailing us, you can check out our social media and access resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one just for kids. They'll sing some songs and hear a message just for them. Mm. And Tara is usually the one (laughs) sharing the word and always does an amazing job. They'll learn from the same scripture text that us adults do. So if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to discuss the application question together, which is so amazing. Mm -hmm. Also on that page are resources related to the messages, like images that you can put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlists um, for the series, and access to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. If you'd like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox, instead of going to the website, you can subscribe right on the Next Steps page. Yeah, and before we wrap up, we want to share that we have locked in two more in-person Sunday gatherings. We will be gathering at Pinnacle on June 13th and July 18th, so mark your calendars and plan to be with us for those Sundays. Speaking of calendars, the Sunday information along with some other summer gatherings will be on the calendar page of the website. We will also be mailing and emailing some information, so if you aren't on our mailing lists, please send us an email at connect at centerwaychurch.com with your info or share your info on the online platform and we'll add you. That's right. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Holly will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then Tara and I will close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Holly with the text for today. Hi, Centerway. I'm Holly. I'm going to be reading the scripture for today from Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Mark 12, 28 through 34. Hello and welcome. My name is Claude and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. We're excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Connecting the Dots. Uh, today's message specifically is entitled Motive, Connecting the Dots Motive. When I started considering uh, what this morning's text kind of grapples with, I was reminded of a story from my college years. And if you've been a part of Centerway at all, uh, you've heard me make reference to my time being uh, working at a restaurant in college. But I also worked at the front desk of a local hotel in the area down in Pennsylvania. And when I was there one day, I had the uh, the manager uh, come in, the manager of the hotel come in and say uh, that he wanted to meet with me and uh, a couple of other people, um, managers and stuff, to have a conversation. Now, there was a typical day to do that, so it seemed like something was wrong. And uh, we went into a, a meeting, and he said, I just want to let you know we have to bring in one of our employees. Uh, he was arrested uh, this past week, and um, he was arrested for stealing from another job, and he worked at the front desk of our hotel. <laughs> hotel, which means he had access to our drawers and cash. And so uh, the police want to make sure that we're, um, we can account for everything that we're supposed to. And so we had to do some closing things and a lot of details that don't matter for this morning's message, except to say it was a complicated meeting and it was really intense. And at one point the police even showed up. And so it was a whole new experience for me. The reason I share this is because uh, the employee came in. And when he came in, I didn't know really what to expect. I was kind of surprised that he had been arrested. Um, I was surprised on a lot of levels as to everything that was kind of unfolding. But what I was most surprised about was his response in this situation. He came in acting like he had no idea why he was being called into this meeting. And so he said hi to everybody and sat down. He's like, what's up? And uh, so the hotel manager said, well, we're here today uh, because you were arrested this week. And he looked around and it's like, so? I'm like, well, um, you were arrested and pled guilty um, to stealing from a, a different job. He's like, yeah. What does that have to do with here? I'm like, <laughs> Well, you work near the money and you deal with finances here. And so the police have reached out to us. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. The police reached out to you? Like, well, yeah. He's like, why? Like, because you were arrested this week and pled guilty to stealing from another. He's like, yeah, yeah no, from a different job. He's like, I, I didn't steal from here. He's like, yeah, but you can understand that what you did at your other job has implications here. He's like, Why? Well, because you pled guilty to something so that he goes, yeah, I stole. I get it. Like I did that, but I didn't steal from here. He's like, yeah, but 
you need to realize that what you do in one part of your life affects other areas of your life. And now I'm summarizing. I don't remember the exact exchange. I just remember being absolutely blown away at this guy's perspective on his life. He was literally saying, but there's this little sliver of my life that doesn't affect all the other slivers. I just do what I want in this sliver. But then when I come here, I'm different. Like I don't steal here. I'm not that kind of guy here. I'm different here. <laughs> I was absolutely mesmerized by the compartmentalization that this guy had done in his life. But the truth is, you can't compartmentalize your life like that. You do something in one area of your life and maybe you can hide it for a season, but the fact is it impacts and has ripple effect in your whole life in different areas of your life. And so the question I want to ask you as we move into the text today is this, why do we compartmentalize our lives? Why do we compartmentalize our lives? Now, this can be, uh, I don't know, a somewhat difficult question to answer because some of us are actually better at compartmentalizing than others. And uh, beyond the, that reality, compartmentalizing is actually kind of a point of contention in the sense that it can have both positive and negative connotations. Some might say, well, I don't want to be good at compartmentalizing. And others kind of almost wear it as a badge of honor, like, hmm, I can compartmentalize anything. <laughs> but on the positive side of things, I think the most obvious example of that is in the area of sports. I've heard it before, and if you watch sports at all, you've heard it before, where they talk about a specific athlete that's going through a difficult season in their life, and, and, and the announcers are just amazed at this athlete's ability to compartmentalize. Look at what look at what he's doing. Look at what she's doing right now. It's like there's so much going on in her personal life or in his personal life. And, and they're able just to kind of compartmentalize that and focus and put all that energy into where they need to be right now for their team. And they almost praise their ability to compartmentalize what it is that needs to be done versus what it is that's happening in their own personal life. They can get away with the distractions and be focused on the task at hand. But if we talk about compartmentalizing, as I just did in the illustration, we can also see the negative aspects of that as well, where, where someone is only fooling themselves if they think they can compartmentalize different areas of their life. But even beyond that, the feelings they're feeling, right? The, the things that, that they've stored up, the hurts that they just say, well, that doesn't matter and, and kind of push it down and compartmentalize it as if it won't eventually kind of spill over into the other areas of their life. So we have this idea of compartmentalizing that, that seems like it's positive at times and negative at others. So some of us, like I said, do better at compartmentalizing than others, some for our benefit and sometimes for our detriment. But all of us need to, to realize that as we consider the positives and the negatives of compartmentalizing, as humans, we attempt to compartmentalize. Every single one of us on some level, whether we're good at it or bad at it, it's a natural human condition. Whether it's positive or negative, we attempt to compartmentalize. Why? Why is that? For the good or the bad, why do we do it? I want to submit to you that we as humans all compartmentalize or attempt to because we don't want an area of our life to affect another. Like I said, whether we're good at it or not, whether it's for the good or the bad, the fact is when we do it or when we attempt to do it, it's because we want one area of our life not to impact or affect the other. 
in that area of our life, we want to perform. On some level, we want to be able to focus on whatever might be in front of us. Think about that for a second. We have a, a task to accomplish, a job to do. Maybe even people are counting on us. Or so so it's it's maybe this phrase you've said from time to time, now is not the time or place. What we're basically saying is there's room for that emotion. There, there's an opportunity for you to express that, but now is not the time. This isn't the place. Compartmentalize that. Put that aside. People are counting on you. You might have heard this phrase, there's no crying in baseball, right? A pretty funny movie that unfortunately has some inappropriate language that I wish wasn't there so my kids could enjoy it. But the fact is, there's this, a league of their own, there's no crying in baseball. And Tom Hanks' character is just shouting at this woman as she's just crying. And what he's saying in that moment is, get your life compartmentalized. Don't allow the, the, the hurt and the frustration to spill over into other areas of your life. Where do you get off allowing your life in one area to affect your life in another. There's no crying in baseball. Don't let something else impact what you have to do now. We need you to perform so we control or we attempt to. We wipe the tears away. We push down the pain. We isolate the the wrong actions or the inappropriate actions that we're embarrassed about. We put them into a compartment and we act as if that isn't going to spill over into other areas. And so there we have the root tensions, performance and control. I need to perform and so I'll control. It's a human struggle and one that we see in today's text. If we look at verse 28, we see a scribe approaching Jesus. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. It's making reference to the Pericope prior where Jesus is speaking to some Sadducees. And so this scribe is coming up and sees that Jesus is interacting with the Sadducees. And seeing that he, meaning Jesus, answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? There it is. Hey, Jesus. How can I perform? How can I make sure that I do the right thing? Now, what's interesting and somewhat different here is that there's no indication that this scribe, unlike the others that we've interfaced with, is trying to actually trap Jesus. He's impressed with the answers that he has just given to the Sadducees. And so he wants to know a legitimate answer to a question. What is it that you say is the most important commandment? Now, don't get me wrong. His question, obviously, is is very revealing concerning the compartmentalizing of his own life and his desires to obviously be able to perform. But the question he asks, asks is actually hotly debated at that point and during that time. You see, at this point in Jewish religious circles, um, the leaders had identified 613 laws that needed to be obeyed. 613. And so of these 613 laws, they wanted to know, which one do you say is the most important? Because the reality is if if they violated any one of these 613 laws, they had varying consequences that required cleansing, that would require burnt offerings, sacrifices, all different things to make them right in relationship with God again. 
And so the laws and their inability to keep them was actually crushing. So here's the question, which is most important? What should we at all costs keep? Like if we get some of the laws wrong and we have to go through the cleansing process, but which one, can we just narrow the 613 to like, what's the biggest? What's the one we have to do? If we can put all of our effort and achieve just one law and never violate that one, which one is it? And again, we see something unusual here. Jesus doesn't answer with a question. He doesn't answer with a parable. Get this. He answers him. (laughs) He actually answers this guy, but not with what the guy is looking for. But still, he answers him. Let's see what Jesus' answer is in verses 29 through 31. It says this, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. So he doesn't just give him one. He actually goes into a second one. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, at face value, that might sound like a, a great answer. Um, but there's really some things happening beneath the surface. There's something really profound taking place and something that you might not notice at first glance. Our modern ears kind of hear this answer and honestly kind of get excited in the sense that we say, I mean, it resonates. Yes, love. Of course, that's it. Like, love God. That's what we need to do. We just need to lean in and we need to love God. And we need to love others. It's it's all about love. It makes perfect sense, right? Love God, love others. Two perfect compartments. Let's love God and then love others. But listen, the original hearers, they are not excited with this answer. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't resonate. How do they respond? I'm going to actually jump ahead and then come back to it in just a moment. If we jump ahead to see their response, we see it in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, meaning the scribe, and we'll get to his answer in a moment, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And this is the part I want to focus on for right now. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So everyone's response to Jesus' answer is that they dared not ask him any more questions. Now, the word dare here in the Greek actually means that they feared to ask. That they actually feared, from that point on, they feared asking Jesus any questions. Why? Why? In fact, with a little bit more investigating, you can actually make the argument that they were petrified to ask him. So why is our response one of resonating? Like, mm, yeah, just love God, love others. And, and it seems like such a great and wise answer, but the original hearers are petrified by his response. They don't want to ask him any more questions. What are we not hearing? Where are we with our modern ears not connecting the dots? What are we missing here? They aren't mad, right? In other passages of scripture, when we see Jesus answer questions, there's a a moment where either the, the people that are following him are intrigued, are leaning in, 
or the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're mad. They're angry about his response. They're offended. But with this, the response is they're scared. Why? Well, if we look carefully, we see a couple of things. Jesus didn't answer with a commandment. So he says, which is the most important commandment? And Jesus does not respond with a commandment. But then he makes reference to them as if they are a commandment. He doesn't focus on the 10, right? The big 10, the 10 commandments. Even if you have very minimal or no exposure to church, you've at least heard someone at some point reference the idea of 10 commandments or the commandments. Well, Jesus doesn't reference the 10. He doesn't even reference one of the 613. He doesn't say, of all the ones that you're looking at and you're leaning in, here's the one I'll nail down for you. He doesn't talk about a commandment at all. Instead, he redefines what humanity should be doing and why they should be doing it. Get this. He quotes Deuteronomy 6, chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. That's his first response. He quotes that, which is actually a daily prayer of every Jewish person at that point. At that point, every good Jewish person would pray the prayer of Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, which he quotes in verse 30. He says, and you, this is it, the beginning part is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the beginning part of the verse. And then he goes on with verse 5 of Deuteronomy, which begins in verse 30 of our text. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's not a commandment. It's something that they prayed. What Jesus is saying is you should actually be doing this, not just saying it and compartmentalizing your life, but you should actually act on what it is that you say. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, 18 in verse 20, uh, 31. So verse 31 is a quotation of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's that quote of that verse. There is no other commandment greater than these. What? That doesn't make any sense. Is Jesus literally saying that the Ten Commandments don't suddenly matter in their Jewish culture? Is he uprooting the 613? How in the world is is he taking these ideas and, and trying to insert them into a higher level of importance than the Ten Commandments or the, or the law, the 613. What is it that Jesus is doing? Jesus is saying, you should be doing what you pray. And that's the why. Why these, these laws exist. The law is all about loving others as yourself. It's kind of earth-shattering and really confusing. In fact, maybe even to us at this point, there's got to be some confusion as to how all of this comes together. Listen, Jesus isn't saying, just do these. Just love and forget the rest. He's not saying that. People that try to, to oversimplify say, listen, it's just, if, we, if you just love God, if you just love God, and if you're just a good person to others, then there, you'll make it to heaven. Like, that's what even Jesus said. It's all about love. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying forget the law. He's not saying forget the Ten Commandments. He's not saying forget the rest. No, he's saying that we need to understand that the law is about love, 
and that love is only defined by the law. I know that sounds kind of circular. I'll unpack it a little bit more. Basically, they can't be compartmentalized. You can't separate the two. They actually inform the other. The law informs love and love informs the law. Are you connecting the dots yet? Let's take a look at a commandment. Let's pick a a commandment and break it down based on what Jesus is saying. And then you'll see, I think, a little bit more of how it revolutionized things. Thou shall not steal. One of the Ten Commandments. One of the because and therefores that we have here at Centerway is generosity. So let's look at thou shall not steal. If this is about love, if that law is actually about love, like Jesus says, then it's not about controlling a compulsion to take. Thou shall not steal does not mean that you need to control your compulsion to steal things. No, if it's informed by love, then thou shall not steal can only be fulfilled if you are radically and gladly generous to people around you so that taking isn't even a possibility. But the concept of stealing is something that naturally is a law that is fulfilled because of your deep love for others. But that requires a source, right? Do you see it? Do you see the problem? How do you just suddenly become a generous person? (laughs) It requires a, a source. We are only generous when we are content with what we have and who we are. Only loved people can give because they aren't striving and they're not trying to gather. We're generous because God was generous to us. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about this idea where love informs the law and the law is informed by love. You see, the two work together. Do you see it? The law isn't about behavior. It's about authentic transformation. If the law is about control and behavior modification, then it will in fact crush you because you can never behave enough. You can never control enough. You can never compartmentalize your life enough. It will never be sufficient. Because the religious mindset there is, if I obey, if I obey, I will get love from God. But we always fall short. And so we're left in this turmoil of always trying to strive to earn the love of God. You see, that lie has us questioning God's love for us. Are we good enough to deserve God's love? It's a system completely based on performance. It's a system that's based on performance that is everything that the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees, they represent. And Jesus is literally shaking the foundation of how it is they perceive the law and how it is they perceive love. You see, if you obey the law to give love to God because you know that you are loved by him, even though you fall short, Well, that's transformative. That transforms you and the grace you're able to extend to even the unlovable. Suddenly you can love the unlovable, not because they are someone worthy of your love, but because God so loves you that you can love the unlovable. You see, we have to connect those dots. The law and love actually work together. Sounds great, but what does it require? What does it require? How does that just happen? How do we just suddenly go, got it, got it. Now 
I'm completely generous, and so I have no compulsion to take, nothing about gathering or stealing or anything. I'm completely motivated by love. Done. How does it happen? It actually happens by knowing God and his love for you. That's the key. A relationship with God and an awareness of his desperate love for you. You see, do you understand now why they were petrified? They were petrified because it completely upturned their entire system. The kingdom of God is invading their lives. The messianic secret is being revealed and the people now are looking at the system that they have functioned in forever and they cannot comprehend. You see, in their society, they didn't have a way to know God. God was distant. And so how do they, how do they achieve this? How do they know God? How do they know that God loves them? You see, they don't realize that they're looking at the very embodiment and proof of God's love for them. Jesus is standing before them and so they're petrified, but they don't have to be. It's right before them. You see, they understand the implications, but they don't know the answer yet. It's not just about performance and controlling themselves. But what's the other option? You see, they're starting to connect the dots, but only in the area of the problem. It's more than just their behavior. It's actually about their motives. What are the motives of their heart? Why do they not steal? You see, if you don't, if you don't steal just for the simple purpose of obeying, then you're not stealing, not because of love, but because of pride or fear. You either fear the consequences or you have pride because you're better than the people that steal. And so they're literally looking at Jesus and they're trying to connect the dots and saying, wait, we don't steal not because we're generous and because we're motivated by love. We don't steal because it's the law and we fear punishment or we have pride because we can control ourselves. He's addressing the motives, the why beneath it, and it's startling them. So how do we, how do we address our motives? Because we can do the right thing for the wrong reason. Well, the scribe, the law expert, answers Jesus. And Jesus actually says, you get it. You get it. You are on your way. So what does he say? What is it that the scribe understands that we can learn today? Verse 32 through 33, he says this, And the scribe said to him, to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. He's saying, okay, I get it. But what he says next is huge. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What? He gets it. He gets it in a way that seems impossible, if I'm honest. I'm blown away by the scribe. The scribe connects all the dots. He doesn't say, wait a second. Teacher, you actually did not list one of the commandments. I asked you for a commandment. You did not give me one of the ten. No, he connects all of the dots and actually says all of that is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
What you have said, Jesus, is more important than our entire system. Much more than. The Greek here for much more actually means exceeds. So this scribe is saying, I see now that what the law requires exceeds. It exceeds what the offerings and the sacrifices could ever provide. The problem is bigger than we've ever realized. All the whole burnt offerings, all the sacrifices, it's not enough. This is amazing because the scribes actually taught that you could please God, that you just control yourself, that if you just performed and if you messed up, like I said before, then then you would sacrifice, you would give a burnt offering, you could find a way to get in right relationship with God. But then he hears Jesus and he connects the dots. And he gets that even, even then, even when you do the motions of religiosity, the motive is corrupt. That there's a problem at the heart level. That you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. That as humans, we are selfish and that we love self above others. That all the offerings, all the sacrifices, they could never be enough. You see, this scribe comes to Jesus and he wants to go from 613 laws down to one. And instead, Jesus showed him the gap that he, that they, that we (laughs) can never close. The chasm that exists because of our sinful nature. Our debt is too significant. And Jesus doesn't say, so you're doomed right? He doesn't say that. No, in verse 34, as we read before, we see now Jesus' response. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. You're not far off. How's that possible? How's it possible that he can't be far off by simple intellect? That because he's connecting the dots in some way that Jesus says, you're not that far off. I want to tell you, he's not that far off because he saw the problem. I think some of us need to get to a place where we can acknowledge the problem, that we can get to the depths of the reality that we have a problem, that we have to stop compartmentalizing our lives and come to grips with the reality that we in and of ourselves are rather selfish, <laughs> that we in and of ourselves could never be good enough. We could never perform well enough that on our best days, we do it for the, out of fear in an attempt to avoid hell or in some way of pride to say, at least I'm not as bad as they are. But that at our heart level, there's something corrupt with our motives. The gap is huge. You see, Jesus says he's not that far off because this scribe sees the problem and Jesus knows that he's the answer. Jesus is the answer to our problem. Jesus himself is the answer to the gap. You see, we can have a loving relationship with God only because of Jesus' life and sacrifice, his sufficient sacrifice, his ultimate offering, his blood that was shed for our sins. You see, he fulfilled the law because of his love for us, the two together. We can love 
because we're loved. You can love because you're loved. If you struggle to love, it's because you struggle to realize how loved by God you are. If you hold back forgiveness, if you keep grace from others, it's because you're struggling with your ability to be fully known and loved by God. If you knew the transformative work of the love of God towards you in your darkest of moments, in your most sinful of days, then you would realize that that transformative work, that the only response can be to extend grace and mercy to those that are unlovable. To be generous to those that that need that we would be transformed not because of some attempt to behave or to be a Christian or to be transformed, but actually an outflow of the work of the gospel in and through our lives. Is Jesus and that truth the center of your life? Or are you attempting to compartmentalize that? Are you saying, well, Jesus, Jesus is here for my salvation. And I mean, I'm a good person. I mean, why, would, why would that spill over into the way I function at work? Why would who I am as a Christian, I mean, that's private. I mean, I'm a private person. Why would that inform my friends at school? Why would that inform the relationships that I have with, with my significant other? Why would that inform the way that I spend my money? My gosh, I mean, this is, this is just my relationship with God. This is my get out of hell free thing. We allowing that truth to transform and inform every area of our lives. We say that the text requires something of us. And so I want to challenge you to ask yourself this question. What needs to change in my life if God is truly the center? Let me say that again. What needs to change in my life if God is truly the center? For some of you today... The, the answer to that question is that you need to put God in the center of your life. You've had God as one of the compartments, but you haven't put God in the center of your life. You haven't removed yourself from the Lord and leader of your own life. And so today, your application looks like asking Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And that doesn't have to be some incredible, well-spoken prayer. It can just be as simple as acknowledging the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. A prayer, something along the lines of acknowledging, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that the debt is huge and the gap is too wide, but I also know that you sent your son Jesus because you love me to bridge that gap, to close that divide because of his sinful, sinless life. And so Father, would you forgive me of my sins and come and be the Lord and leader of my life? If you prayed that prayer right now, wherever you find yourself, We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're watching live, you can click request prayer and we'll go into a private chat with one of our hosts and we can talk about the the next step of the decision you've made. If you're listening or watching to this later, you can reach out to us through our website or via email and we'd love to walk alongside you as you navigate what's next in your faith journey. For others of us, we have to resist something here. We have to resist the temptation to turn this into some type of behavior modification. (laughs) To say, oh, I know what needs to change in my life. If God's truly the center, then I'd behave better. (laughs) So I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. No. We have to resist that. We have to allow who God says we are. What it is that Jesus has done to inform the areas of my life. If I truly allow God to be the center of my life. Because I'm loved. 
then why would I search for love and belonging in relationships? They'll never deliver on the belonging I'm looking for. So God, would you transform my heart? Would you help me see how you see me? Would you help me to acknowledge how loved I am so that I don't seek love in relationships? Father, would you transform the way that I deal with my finances so that I I don't try to gather, but that I can be a person of generosity because of your generosity towards me? Lord, would you transform my priorities? There are things that I have elevated in this life that I've put in the center instead of you. God, I want you to be the center. Would you reorder the priorities of my heart? Maybe it means leaning into a devotional life. A time where you spend even two, three minutes reading a scripture in the morning and asking God to reset your heart and mind. Two, three-minute prayer, whatever it looks like. Maybe it means going through follow, which is an eight-week discipleship process. We have people that are trained to, to be your spiritual coach. We have coaches in so many areas of life, business, health, uh, you name it. What about a spiritual coach? I want to provide that to you if that's your next step. What does it look like for you? Maybe it means looking at the center of your life and saying, how am I on mission? If I have all these other things in balance and the gospel's informing them, how is it that I'm living on mission? How is it that I'm leveraging my influence for your glory? I want you to consider what needs to change in my life if God is truly the center. Let's declare ourselves available and pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds. We know, Holy Spirit, that that you uh, have an intent, that you have love towards us, that you have um, an affection towards us that we on most days, on our best days even, can't begin to comprehend. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have an awareness of your love, that we wouldn't simply be crushed by the law, but that we would experience and know your love and allow it to transform the way we function in every relationship. And so we ask that you would speak to us, that you'd lead us and direct us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Excited to see what it is that God does in and through you this week as you put him in the center. Can't wait to see you next week as we continue in our series, Connecting the Dots. What a great message. This series, true to its name, is really helping us all connect the dots in very practical, gospel-centered ways in our lives. We pray you'll take time to evaluate what needs to change in your life as you put God in the center of everything. Yeah, we say most every week that there are lots of ways to worship, and we encourage you to seize every opportunity to do just that. Singing is one way to worship, and we're about to do that together if you're gathered live. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship by singing along with the video posted on Facebook or with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for the new Connecting the Dots playlist. For those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Instagram or Facebook in just a few minutes.